Open your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Galatians in chapter number 5. Galatians chapter number 5. Galatians chapter 5, verse number 19, begins to list the works of the flesh. And Paul says to the church at Galatia there, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, Wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And then in verse number 22, we're going to see a contrast, because the word but means now. Let me show you this. So he's going to flip the coin on us. He's shown us, he's shown us what the works or the fruits of the flesh are. Now he's going to flip the coin for us, and he's going to show us the contrasting works that the Spirit of God places in our life that, that, that uh, are so diametrically opposite of the works of the flesh. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Against such there is no law. Let's pray. Father, help us. Give us what we have need of today and, and do your work in our hearts, and we'll thank you for what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. The last three Sundays, we've discussed love, joy, and peace, which are characteristics that the Spirit of God wants to produce on the inside of us. They are, they are the characteristics which are within. Now, we're moving to a, a second trio, and that are, those are characteristics that, that, that affect us without. <clears throat> First three are within, second three are without, third three are, are upward. Inward, outward, upward. That's how you can divide these characteristics. And we're going to examine what it means to be long-suffering. Now stay with me. Because it is not a happen chance that right after dealing with love, joy, and peace, we're told that each of those, our love, our joy, and our peace is going to be tested by suffering, okay? I mean, <laughs> I mean, isn't that an encouragement? I mean, we come out of the study, and it's like, wow, okay, God wants me to be a person of, He wants to produce love within me. He wants to produce joy. I'm supposed to be a joyous person within me. I'm supposed to have peace within me, okay? Peace within me. What does that mean? It means the things of the world, everything going on in the world, doesn't rattle you. Look, look, I get disturbed by people that are Christian people that say that they're walking with God, and yet they are cockamamie disturbed by all the things in the world, and the Bible tells us about those things. Look, chill it. 
cool it. It's okay. We're to have peace in the middle of the storm. It's Jesus that speaks that kind of peace to us. So, so here we are, love, joy, peace, and then suffering. Wow. Okay. We're, we're going, it's not happen chance that, that this happens this way. Love, joy, and peace doesn't mean you've got smooth sailing. Love, joy, and peace means that when the sailing isn't any longer smooth, you can be okay. Because when the storm arises, you've got love. When the storm arises, you've got joy. When the storm arises, you've got peace. It doesn't mean when Jesus says, go get into a boat and go to the other side, that it's going to be smooth sailing to the other side. Oftentimes, the sailing is anything but smooth. Now, I want you to get this, all right? I want you to get ready for this. I'm going to stun you right now. Those of you that are watching live stream, I'm going to ask you to be seated and do not be standing up when I give this next statement out because this is going to be incredibly overwhelming to you. Here it is. Get ready for this. To be long-suffering literally means to suffer long. Think, of, think about that. Let, let that soak in a little while. Okay, you see what I did there? Long-suffering, flipped it, suffer long. And so, uh, it, it really, that, that's what it means. Okay? Well, let's find something nice about it. There's nothing nice about it. It means that there are things in our life, some big, some small, some in between. There are events and there are people in our life that can bring about suffering in our life. Okay, So, so, so what, do, what do we do with that? Well, we, we, we deal with it over the long haul, not over the short haul. Anybody can suffer for a day. Okay? Sometimes we suffer long. And you say, Pastor, you're speaking of my anniversary. No, no, get, a, get away from your marriage and let's get into this. All right, now, here's what it means literally. It means the power to bear up under a burden. Okay? It means the power to endure. It means the power to resist pressure and the capacity to withstand a tremendous strain. Let me give you that to you again real quickly. The power to bear up under a burden. The power to endure. The power to resist pressure. The capacity to stand, to withstand a tremendous strain. Sometimes those come in events. It's an event that strains us. It's an event that causes a burden on us. Sometimes it is a person. So you could define long-suffering when it comes with people as the power to bear irritating people without becoming irritated, okay? The power to bear irritating people without becoming irritated. It's the ability to tolerate the intolerant, okay? The ability to tolerate the intolerant. It's, it's a long temper contrasted with a short temper. It is the evidence of what 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, bearing all things. That's what long-suffering is. The grace to keep going when walking away would be by far the easier option. That's long-suffering. Now, I want to make some points for you, and the first thing I want to say is this. 
is that anger bankrupts long-suffering. Okay? Anger bankrupts long-suffering. It withdraws everything, every ounce of long-suffering is withdrawn by bankruptcy. An angry person is someone who is out of balance. They don't have the handle on their emotion. Their, their anger uh, short circuits or sabotages any potential for being long-suffering in, an, in a situation that actually needs response, not reaction. But because they're angry, they react with anger rather than responding with long-suffering. And oftentimes, whatever the situation is, gets much worse, much faster. Proverbs chapter 18, uh, 15, verse 18, Proverbs 15, 18. A wrathful man stirreth up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeaseth strife. Okay? When we first got married, when we first got married, um, after a couple of years in my home church, Susie and I moved out to a rural community and lived out in the country. And we were cleaning brush and things like that. And out in Georgia and those places, you just, you just burned your trash, okay? You didn't, there wasn't so much hauling. There were some dumpsters way down the road. But as far as, as, far as branches and things, they just piled them up in a place and you burned them. And so there was one day, Susie not doing that much in being a Virginia city girl, she had some stuff piled in a drum that we had to burn stuff in, and it wouldn't light. It just wasn't doing well. And so she poured gas in there, and I remember sitting in the room there thinking, she's not going to. She's not going to. But she struck a match and flicked it in the can, and for some reason, nothing happened. I don't know wh whether it was out before it hit or what. So then wanting to get a closer view of what was happening, she struck the match, leaned over, and dropped it, and it went <laughs> just all of a sudden. Now, she's not in here right now, so please don't repeat this illustration to her, all right? When I saw her not here, I thought, this is a great time to tell that illustration. And, and it singed her eyebrows, and her hair here was extraordinarily curly up front that, like, had not been earlier, and it was just the <laughs> Just an explosion of the gas. Well, let me tell you what anger is. Anger takes a situation, and what it does is it puts gas on it, and it adds fire to it. And oftentimes, a wrathful man stirreth up strife. It means that it blows up in your face. Now, God gives warnings to fathers uh, about provoking their children. Um, Ephesians 6, 4, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Uh, Colossians 3.21, fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. And by the way, that's not by any stretch of the imagination an exclusive fault of a dad, but we have a tendency sometimes to insist things that are unfair to children. We want them to do things at our level, and no child can probably ever do that, but we insist on that, and what that develops in the child being unable to do that, it develops an anger within them that they're always falling short and never getting praise. And we give out demerits and never give out merits, and, and that ought not be the, the way that it is. Listen, listen to this. Who's not like that? What father, what father is not like that? Psalm 103, verse 8, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, 
Everybody listening? Slow to anger and plenteous of mercy. So let me tell you how God deals with you. He's slow to anger. And if you had to crawl on your knees on broken glass to get to an altar and properly thank him for that, you ought to do so. Because God's been slow to anger with me. He's been slow to anger with me. And I'm grateful. Psalm 145, verse 8, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. He says that again. An angry person is somebody that's dominated by the flesh. Paul said in Galatians 5, verse 16, Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You know what lust is? It's not always sensual. Sometimes lust is just letting go of my anger. Just, just, just grabbing a handful of revenge. Just getting something that's not mine, but I want it and I'm getting it. Lust is any time the desires of your flesh are let loose. That's lust. Okay, Doesn't have to be sensual. A person that is long-suffering is, is, is pictured as somebody that is strong. Somebody that's angry is depicted as somebody that's weak. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 32. He that is slow in anger is better than the mighty. Listen to that. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. Better off. Better people. God goes so far as to place a warning sign for us. In Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 24, Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man thou shalt not go. Don't be that person. Your pride will tell you, I can hang with them and it won't affect me. Yeah, it will. Make no friendship with an angry man. And with a furious man, thou shalt not go. Don't ever think that you or I, we're above the Scriptures. We're not. And God said, you find an angry person, look, don't go there. Why? Because when people see you with him, number one, it's going gonna, it's gonna to taint you. They're going to think you're just like him. I've had some young men that grew up under my preaching when I had a teen class back in Georgia that wound up, uh, wound up suffering at the hands of the law simply because of the fact they were hanging out with angry people. And something happened and all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't break them free from the accusation that they were, they were with the wrong group at the wrong time and they suffered for it. So when God says, um, make no friendship with an angry man, he knows exactly what he's talking about. Now look at me. Listen to me. God, listen, God commands you and God commands me to deal with our anger and to get a grip. Deal with your anger. Get a grip. Now we've got excuses as to why we're angry. Okay. But when you lose a handle on your emotions and you're angry and you say things you shouldn't say, and you and you you just you just explode. I heard a lady say one time, well, you know, I'm angry, but it doesn't last long. And the pastor said to her, Yeah, so is a shotgun, but look at the damage it does. Shotgun blast isn't long. So for you to feel like you're justified in erupting and saying unkind and unchristian words is evidence of the fact that, that you have not yielded your anger to the Lord. Ephesians 4.31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger 
and clamor and evil speaking, these all go together. Listen, be put away from you with all malice. You know what God said? Throw it out. Throw it out. Heavenly Father, would you please take from me my temper? No, I won't. I won't take it. Why? Because that's your job. It's the division of labor. You cannot do what I can do, and I will not do what you can do. Don't blame your anger on me. Don't blame your anger on everybody else. Blame your anger on yourself. Get rid of the anger, okay? When I was a young kid, I played peacefully all the time. In fact, I never did anything wrong. I'm quoting Margaret Herring. And, and so I, I was a peaceful kid, that, but, but then some things happened in my life where there, there was some conflicts, uh, uh, and, and I developed a bit of a temper. As I got later on into my high school and things like that, um, I was in an environment and in a culture that just exacerbated that. And I'm, I'm just a happy-go-lucky guy. We're having a great time. I'm going to school. We're playing ball. Everything's good. Don't push me in a corner. Because when I'm cornered, when I'm cornered and when, when I, I, I feel like things aren't going my way, and, and, and it was just, two years of my high school was just such a mess, then all of a sudden, then all of a sudden the fuse lit and I was, I was just, I was on. Just, don't push me because just like that. When I surrendered my life to preach the Word of God, I began to realize, and this is going to be a shocking statement, but anger and ministry don't go together well. Okay. I'm just being honest with you. I mean, I'm in Bible college struggling with with who I am. And so, over the years, God impressed upon me and gave me the ability to do what He had called me to do. And that's just, Dean, get a grip, son. Just, just get a grip and realize that, that your responsibility is for Colossians 3.8. But now ye also put off all these, batting lead off, anger. God said, here's what you're to put off. Put off your anger. Put off your wrath, malice, blasphemy. Filthy communication out of your mouth. Don't ask, Heavenly Father, would you take this filthy mouth from me? No, no, you get rid of the filthy mouth. Okay? Susie got a guy's parking place yesterday at Walmart, and the guy got out and cursed her out. That would have been a test of my anger. But anyhow... Uh, so I wasn't with her, but, but he gets out and, and curses her out. He has no idea. When she hit him, he buckled like a cheap piece of carpet. No, that's not what happened. You know what she said to him? She said, I pointed my finger at him and said, you have a filthy mouth. And he looked at her again, and the preach came out of that girl. Son! And she pointed at him and said, you have a filthy mouth and he drove off you know why because he did have a filthy mouth she told him the truth and so god says hey get rid of that kind of stuff let me say this also we're not to be prisoners of our circumstances now we're look at me listen to me we're talking about we're talking about being long suffering all right so don't lose that or right. anger counterproduces whatever long suffering would bring in your life anger is the poison anger is toxic to long suffering 
And then number two, we're not to be prisoners of our circumstances. It's, it's not hard to sing and smile when everything's going well for us and life's on cruise control, headed straight for happily ever after. But when things implode and life goes off script, we can get rattled and we can panic. Paul wrote the church at Corinth and he said in chapter 6, verse 4 through 6, but in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, imprisonments, tumults, labors, watchings, and fastings. Sometimes the adverse circumstances are events. Okay, that's afflictions, necessities, and distresses. Sometimes they're caused by somebody else. That's stripes, imprisonments, and tumult. Somebody gave you the stripes. Somebody confined you to prison. Maybe it was in a relationship. Somebody did that to you. Sometimes it's just the pressures of life, which is labors, watchings, and fasting. If we surrender who we are to what's happening around us, we become vulnerable to situations and to chance and to people. And so I now, I now am I'm molded by what's going on around me and the people in my life rather than God. So how do we handle such things, okay? Look with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Go there. Everybody look there. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I want, you, I want you to see this. 2 Corinthians 6, all right? We just read verses 4 through 6, okay? Look at, look at what he says, okay? We're to prove ourselves as the ministers of God. By the way, he's writing this to a church, not to a pastor's college. Look at me, I'm not the only minister in this church. Look at the person next to you. Say so you're a minister. Well, that didn't go over well. Anyhow, we're all ministers. You're like, I ain't my minister. No, we're all ministers. Look at, we're all to be ministering, okay? Every one of us, we are to be ministering. So he's writing this, this to the church. What hurt worse at that moment was Georgia wouldn't even say it to Chad. So anyhow, so, so we're, we're all ministers, right? Now, verse 5, he gives a list. Now watch this. So how do we handle the things? Look in verse 6. By pureness, by knowledge. What's the third one? Thank you. Wow. <laughs> by pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned. That means we live right, we think right, we suffer right, we respond right, we walk right, we love right. So we're going, listen, you're going to have events that happen in your life that's going to suck the air out of your sails. It's going to knock the breath out of you. Well, how do we handle those? How do you handle the guy on the job that, that's, that's just absolutely living to make your life miserable? You, look, you, 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 you got to give, you, it's by kindness, by long-suffering, some things we just have to endure. Now, there are times, that's in the world, there are times we've got to be long-suffering with each other, okay? Um, you, you might think that long-suffering applies to those people on the job or in the neighborhood or the ant that drives you crazy, okay? And that's not it. Paul wrote the church at Ephesus and stressed the need for them to be long-suffering with each other. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Use your Bibles today. Ephesians chapter number 4, okay? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, Paul writes, the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Again, this is to a church. 
God has a calling on a church. We're all ministers. Verse 2, with all lowliness and meekness, watch, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit of the bond of peace, there's one body, one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. And so, Paul said, you've got to be long-suffering with each other. He even wrote their pastor, who was Timothy, and said, you know, to Timothy, he said, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with what? All long-suffering in doctrine. Timothy, he said to Timothy, don't get frustrated ministering to people. You know what happens to pastors? They have an expectation for people. They forget that they have not met that expectation that God has for them, but they're expecting, uh, have expectations of their people, and when their people don't meet their expectations, they get frustrated and angry, and they become bitter. And you come to church, and the pulpit becomes just literally a whipping post to where they're taking swings at everybody and condemning everybody because, bless God, you're not living the way you ought to live. And I want to tell you, who can stand a dose of that? I, I mean, Bible preaching is one thing. But a man venting his frustrations is something entirely different. You see, it's, it's the spirit of the matter. You see, here's the whole deal: we're all trying to live up to expectations, not mine, God's. See, that's the that's the beauty of it. It's what does God want of Dean? Well, you know what? He wants the same thing out of you, and he wants us all to live in in such a manner. A, a church is an assembly of people, and People are sinners with an array of personality quirks and, and idiosyncrasies. And if you look at the apostles, do you know what? The apostles, the chosen men, got on each other's nerves. Two of them said, uh, well, they sent their mama. What? Two grown men, the mama goes and says, uh, Jesus, could my boy sit on your right hand and your left hand? What a wimp. I mean, it was, and they're called the sons of thunder. I bet, I, I bet. Uh, I bet Zebedee didn't know that Mama Thunder went and asked for the boys, but she did. And, and the other guys were like, what? Who do you think you are? And Jesus said, it's not, look, we're not giving out places now, so just stop. Well, another time they said, hey, we saw somebody that was worshiping and he wasn't doing it with us. Uh, we forbade him. Jesus said, that's not your place. You don't have the right to forbid anybody. They came out of a city that didn't applaud them and said, hey, should we just call fire down? Well, that's great. How'd you like that kind of pastor? You know, do right or you'll never reach your car. And so, I mean, you know, basically that's what it was. Hey, they're not doing what we're doing, so let's just zap them. Let's zap them. Jesus rebuked them. First century church, the first century church was a melting pot of racial diversity and ethnic backgrounds, okay? A melting pot of racial diversity, ethnic backgrounds, different cultures. Some came from Judaism, some came from paganism. And in the Galatian church, there was an absolute awkward mixture. And Paul says to them, the Spirit of God wants to produce within you a long-suffering one for the other. We can't insist on identicalness we're brothers and sisters, but we don't have to be twins. Now, the Word of God, listen carefully, the Word of God is as much for you as it is the person sitting next to you. 
So we, we don't get to say, well, that doesn't apply to me. Yes, it does. Well, I, I, I just don't see it that way. Well, whoopee. That's, that's okay. So you don't see it that way. But, you, but still, the Word of God, it's for you, it's for me, it's for everybody. So God's trying to move us all along in our growth span and how we live and how we act and the way we, 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 we live for Him. So it's for all of us there. But even with that, he's not asking us to become twins, okay? Don't be ugly to people just because they may not do something exactly the way you do it. That's what kills a church, is when you get, when you get a, 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 a cliquish level of living that everybody's expected to live up to. We're all on a journey, and some people may not be as far along as you are, but they may have actually traveled a further distance than you have. Okay, I mean that's 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 the reality. That's the reality of it. Look, you you and Levi, give me a hand. Would you help me? Come here, guys. Thank you. All right, I want you to go. I want you to go. Luke, go to the wall. Okay. All right, Levi, I want you to come right here. All right, Levi. Levi was a member of a church. His parents are good people. They're. Wonderful people in church. They love the Lord. Levi, at an early age, after attending Sunday school for so many years, realized he needed Christ as his Savior, and Levi got saved. So Levi now starts on his journey, and here's Levi. Levi's right here for the Lord. He's given his life to the Lord. God's blessing him. He's doing his best. Luke, on the other hand, his parents never attended church. I mean, they, they just they didn't attend church. His dad was messed up in alcohol. His mother was a good lady, but she worked all week long when it came vacation, uh, uh, Sunday, uh, uh, weekend time. She felt like that was her vacation. She didn't want to go to church. But Luke was invited to vacation Bible school, and Luke got saved. And so Luke started growing. Come on, Luke. Luke, I was, was so proud of him. Thank God for Luke. He's been to church now. I mean, it's doing great. We're thankful for Luke. And we're blessed by it. And so Luke is just growing spiritually. He's growing spiritually. And, and here's what happens. Luke's right here. Well, what happens is Levi looks back at Luke and says, Luke's not where I'm at. He would probably do that, wouldn't he? But anyhow, so Levi looks at Luke and says, Luke's not where I'm at. He's further along, but he's traveled the furthest. So when you look back and find somebody that's not up to your level, here, this is, this is I hope you, uh, I'm going to go deep now, okay? So this is going to be deep, but I hope you can grasp what I'm saying. Zippeth the lippeth. <laughs> Just zip the lip. It's not up for you to determine where people are because you'll look at this guy and say, he's not, he's not where he's at. No, but he traveled further than he did. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you helping me. So, so be careful. You don't know how, listen, you don't know where they came from. You don't know how far they've traveled. And they may be here, and they may appear to be really spiritually immature, but they've traveled from way back yonder down in the swamp of life. So be careful how, how we look at them. Now, I'm going to tie a knot in this pretty quick. I want you to go to Colossians chapter 1, and I want to show you how we suffer. Here's how we suffer. 
Because, because this is the point. The how is as vital as the what. We know we're to be long-suffering, okay, but how? So, so here's long-suffering. Okay, oh, for Pete's sake, i got to put up with it. All right. Man, this is wearing me out. I don't know about you, but I'm just about sick of it. But God says I'm to be long-suffering, and so here I am. Hey, Pastor, how are you doing today? Well, all things considered, I'm suffering through it. You ever meet people like that? How are you doing today? Well, all things considered, I'm staggering through life. You know, I'm just barely making it, but I guess, bless God, I am making it. No, that's, that's not how. The how is as important as the why and the what. Watch this. Look with me. Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Watch. Strengthened with all might, according to His glorious power, unto all patience and long-suffering with... So wait a minute. <laughs> so here I am. Uh, how you doing, preacher? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm just uh, honestly, people, I... I I don't know that I can take another day, but I'm going to try. No, no. You know what he said? Here's what you need. When you're long-suffering, you need to add to that a spoonful of joyfulness. Now, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something about this part of the country. Okay, I'm not trying to insult anybody. I'm just telling you right now. People need to discover sweet tea. Okay, no, no we're talking, listen. No, we're talking sweet tea, people. Sweet tea. You go to a restaurant, do you have sweet? Yeah, we got sweet tea. And you sip it, and the bags behind your ears blow up like bullfrogs. That ain't sweet tea. That is bitter. I'm talking sweet tea. I'm talking when you set it down and put a spoon in the middle of it, it doesn't hit either side of the glass. Okay, you can, you can even eat it with your... I'm talking sweet tea. I'm talking one glass of tea... A pound and a half of sugar, okay? You can sweet mud. I don't care what you call it. I'm talking sweet, okay? So, so here's the deal. When you're long-suffering, you know what you need? You need a gigantic spoonful of joyfulness. I've said this before. We need a revival. We need a revival of joy in the hearts of God's people. Pastor, these are tough days. Yeah, aren't you happy about it? It means Jesus is coming back. I don't know what I'm going to do. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to be ready if I can. I'm just saying, look, I'm saying you know, we're going to suffer some things, but we ought to, don't, listen, don't let people take your joy from you. The philosopher Zeno, Z-E-N-O, was the master of the school of Stoicism, Okay. Men called them Stoics, and they actually call themselves Stoics. This is their writing. Pain shall not make us groan. Danger shall not appall. Peril shall not intimidate. The shocks and ills of life shall not disturb our equanimity. Bereavement and loss may come, but they shall not jostle us from the fine poise of perfect self-control. And so the extent of their success showed what the human will can do, but they had no divine help. 
And because they had no divine help and it was all a self-effort of the flesh, not the fruit of the Spirit, they not only rejected anger, but they rejected joy. The Stoics were self-disciplined, but they were also empty. All of the emotions that God gave them, they had none of it. The Bible says, be ye angry and sin not. So there is righteous anger. I, I'm angry at the, at the, at the um, uh, things that are going on in our nation, but I'm not letting my anger control me. There's a balance. I, you, have to, you have to, in the midst of all of that, learn how to be long-suffering. Jesus said, these things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Now, let me close with this, and just simply say, that the reality of the matter is that once again we find our source is God. In fact, if you'll read your Bible, you'll find out that of the 17 times the word long-suffering is used, 11 refer directly to the long-suffering of God. It's in our DNA. God wants to put it in us. Here's a great verse, 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Boy, I'm thankful for that. Hey, by the way, look at me. If you ever get stuck in the place of like, I don't know why God doesn't deal with them, bless God. I'll tell you one thing. I don't know why God doesn't deal with them. Why don't you stop and just go stand in front of the mirror? And wonder why God hasn't dealt with you in that manner. He's long-suffering where? To usward. He's the source of long-suffering. So if I am to learn to be long-suffering, where do I go to do that? It's the fruit of the Spirit. I promise you this. It is not the fruit of Dean. Okay? That's why I struggled in life. Because I was handling things myself. But the fruit of the Spirit can bring us to a place to where we're able to suffer long with joyfulness. That's the kind of Christianity this world desperately needs to see. Desperately needs to see. I've stood in people's yards while their house burned to the ground and seen them praise God. You know why? Because with their suffering, God gave them joyfulness. And boy, what a testimony. Let's bow our heads, could we? Every head bowed, every eye closed today. What, what is it in your life right now that's making you suffer? Could be physical, medical, something that has captivated your attention, your mind. I think of Cindy and Clint right now. They're worn out. We need to pray for them. They're just shot. They're shot. It's just, it's been, it's, they're, they're looking for light at the end of the tunnel. And when they look down the tunnel, all they see is tunnel. You ever been there? Sure you have. Maybe you're suffering today. Maybe there's something on you. Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's an event. 
Maybe it's a set of circumstances that you just can't seem to get out of. Maybe you want to kneel at your chair right now. Just get out of your seat, kneel at your chair. We don't have an altar yet, but we will when we get a church. And uh, the, the Bible is full of talk of the altar. And, and sometimes we need to take our hearts and our prayers and our surrender to the altar. Maybe you want to make an altar right there where you're at. So many of the decisions of my life have been made at the altar of God. Long-suffering. You're going to go through it. The question is whether you'll do it with joy or by yourself. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for the fact that you love us and that you walk with us through our struggles. Every storm, every storm, you're there. Every heartache, you're there. You've never left us nor forsaken us. So help us, I pray, even when we suffer, to be able to do it with joy because you're with us in the trial. Thank you for your love. Bless, bless, Lord, those that are hurting today, especially in a way. Some even we don't even know about, some we do. Help, help, Lord. And for the conference coming up this week, crown it with your presence, dear Jesus. Bless it. Help us to have a great service Thursday and Friday. And I pray that, that, that uh, you would receive honor and glory. And we pray this in the name of Jesus and for his glory. Amen.